Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. This is Pastor Cornelius, RPC, and welcome to another day. I mean, aren't you excited about what God has already done? You know, you, we can find every excuse in the world to complain about. But, the, you know, perspective as well. And if you change your perspective, your whole life changes. You know, it's not, oh, I woke up today. It's like, man, I, I, I get to wake up today. I get to go to work. I get to do things. And guess what? We get to be with you right now. I get to be with you. And I'm honored that you're right now paying attention and watching this. And I, I guarantee you the message today is going to be life changing. I don't know if you've got an opportunity to listen to the rest of our sermons, but this series has been life changing for so many people and I hope it has touched you in your house as well. Now we've been talking about the tabernacle of Moses. We were outside the tabernacle, then we went inside, we went to the brazen altar, we went to the laver, and then we had to discuss what the cause was. Like, you know, we had to understand the context of our meeting. Did you get an opportunity to listen to last week's message? It was so good about the context of our meeting with God. Well, we're getting closer. And today we're going into the holy place. We're going to get a chance to see the menorah. We get a chance to go to the to go to the table of showbread. Then we get a chance to go to the altar of incense and it's going to be amazing. We're going to get a chance to see revelation and talk about worship and talk about some things that are cornerstone to the church today. And you'll get a chance to see why many of us do church the way we do. And you'll see why God desires for it to be done that way. Ultimately, I pray that you are encouraged. I pray that you are enlightened. And I pray that this is going to be one of the best times ever as you get this word. And don't forget, at the go, we keep it 100. That means that wherever you are, I pray that you are going to give something. You have to ask yourself the question. Do I give as good as I get? For every person that's watching us right now, our only hope is that you give something. And there are ways for you to give that may be below down in the comment section, wherever it may be, but you can find it. We'll figure it out. We got it. But give something. Then also, that you serve somewhere. And also, so you can be a part of a community in doing something. But ultimately, I pray that this message today, that it encourages you, it opens you up, and enlightens you. I hope that you're changed by it. God bless you, and thank you so much for joining us today. We've been talking about, we've been in this series since the beginning of the year. I asked somebody to ask me, it was like, yo, PC, when are we finished? But we have not met God yet, figuratively speaking, in accordance to the, uh, to the, to the, to the message. Now, the, 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 the topic here, are, are the, the, the series title is Meeting God. And our whole desire is ultimately to meet him. And we've been talking about the tabernacle of Moses. This is this Old Testament theory that, that may have started there with Moses, but it was passed down. I mean, you, David put his hands on it. Solomon put his hands on it. And some people even believe that today the Ark of the Covenant rests within Ethiopia. When I was in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and walking around with the pastor, he told me, he said, next time you come, I want to take you to the Ark. And I thought, bro, you should take me right now. 
Uh, I know that's not where God is, but nevertheless, I would love to be able to see this. But there, there's all talk and debate about where it is and, and the biblical significance. And I think even for people to hear that, because a lot of times uh, people will assume that Christianity, and it's a big thing nowadays, that Christianity is a white man's religion. When you do not realize that much of, that, that much of it is still, it still has an African emphasis. If you look in the scriptures, there was even an Ethiopian eunuch that was reading the, that was reading the words of Isaiah when the disciple came up to him and said, do you know what you are reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how will I know unless somebody teaches me? We, we, this is, it still has biblical implications that does not just lie in European culture. Although that is much of what we have maybe have seen in pictures and depicted in movies, that is not necessarily the case. But nevertheless, that is not the context of my message this morning. We're talking about the tabernacle of Moses, this Old Testament idea, and we're sh my, my intent is to show you how God, how God planned for this tabernacle to be a representation of redemption for mankind, how we are to be redeemed, how we are to be known, how we are to be discovered, and how we are to be set free. So now we began this in talking about the tabernacle on the outside. Tabernacle is just a real big word for house or dwelling place it's like you know how where you dwell when somebody says where do you deal we don't ask each other that like where do you dwell but your dwelling place would be your house it's like where do you stay where do you live and God desired for the tabernacle to be portable which tells us practically present day right now that God did not want us to think that the church was supposed to remain in one place present day New Testament, we are referred to as the Ecclesia. We are a moving church. We are a moving vessel. We don't stand still. We don't come to church. We bring the church with us. So now we get edified. The Bible says that he gave us some prophets, teach, uh, some prophets teachers, pastors, all these. He gave them, though. He gave us the fivefold ministry gift for the edification or the building up of the church or the building up of the saints so the saints or so the church can do the work of the ministry. So when work isn't being done, you don't criticize the ecumenical or the Catholic church. I don't mean Catholic in the sense of, of, of traditionalism. I mean Catholic in the sense of, 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 of all of us, everyone. You don't criticize the larger church, but you look in the mirror and you say the work is not being done because I am not doing it. We are a moving church. We are a tabernacle. We are set aside to move, to dwell. And God shows us that no matter where you are, the tabernacle, that I will always be with you. So whether you are in the wilderness, God is with you. Whether you are in the promised land, God is with you. Whether you are, whether you are beside still waters, God is with you. Whether you are on an ark and a flood, God is with you. It does not matter where you are, God is with you. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of what he does and how he does what he does. Now, in, his, in Exodus 25, verse 8 through 9, it says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. God says, you have to do this. And the reason why you have to do this is because I want to live and dwell among you. Which lets us know right now that if you think that life is best lived by yourself, then you are wrong. 
We are relational beings that were made from a relational God. God desires for us to dwell together. The Bible even says in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, how, in the book of Hebrew, how it talks about how we come together and we assemble ourselves with like believers because we were never made to do life alone. We're referred to as sheep in scriptures. Sheep is important. And, and understanding the mentality of a sheep. Uh, sheep are not known to fight. You never, you don't, you don't read news reports saying that somebody got killed by a flock of sheep yesterday. Sheep don't fight, but they do bite. And when a sheep bites, it hurts. That's usually what we refer to present day practically as church hurt. You got bit by a sheep. It doesn't last long, but it hurts. And sometimes the injury, we make it out to be something that is much more than what it really is. So now we're referred to as sheep. Sheep, the, the, the power of sheep is found in the flock. It's when they're all together. When, when wolves come, when lions come, when anybody comes to tear away at the sheep, the sheep have protection with the shepherd. The shepherd has a staff and a rod. The, the, the staff is there to guide and the rod is there to discipline. The same way Jesus, he is our, he is our, our true shepherd. He, he, has, he has a rod, we're a discipline, and we are also, he has also the staff which guides us. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us and the Holy Spirit is also there to discipline us, to chastise us, to convict us when we are doing things that are wrong. So now we, have, we are referred to as sheep and sheep, we do better in community because how can, how can one keep himself warm? Yesterday, I was watching this show with, uh, with animals, and with these monkeys, uh, and I forget where they were, but, but they, they would sit down in this, in this hot bath. It was, it was freezing cold outside. In fact, in fact, the bath was almost 45 degrees warmer than the temperature outside. So they sat in that, in that hot bath that somehow God still provides for these, for these monkeys out there. It's not anything heating itself. It's just, it's just what God provides. So God provides us for them, and they sit in as long as they can until it starts to get dark and then as it started to get dark all the monkeys that were in there were in their little cluster they went up and they got up on a branch and the way that they don't die is they all get together and curl up together there was one monkey that was off to the side that the other monkeys didn't want anything to do with and he was going to freeze to death so he decided to be bold enough to just go over to the other monkeys that he saw were wrapped together to keep themselves warm. And he decided to give it a shot because if I don't, I'm going to freeze to death tonight. He went over and the other monkeys allow for him to join them. Why? Because the other monkeys said, if there's any amount of new warmth that can come, we'll take it. And that's a story for us present day practically that when you feel like you are cold by yourself, step out of yourself and finally find somebody else who can help keep you warm. We are called to fellowship. Exodus 29, 45 through 46 says, Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them, and I am the Lord their God. Now, I'm going to give you a short overview, then I'll jump into this morning's message. So we started this series talking about being away from God, how shame, guilt, and condemnation, it keeps us away from God. And sometimes it's not even the shame, guilt, and condemnation. Sometimes it is the rules and regulations that the church made about God that God didn't make for himself. Sometimes we are, we, before we can ever even get to God, we are, met with, we are met with such legalism that makes us think that we can't come to him. 
You'd be shocked and amazed the number of men I've sat down with who have felt like they cannot come to God because of maybe some traditionalism they got out of church that kept them from even going towards him. They didn't think that I could go to him as an unclean being and that God would cleanse me up or he would sanctify me. They thought, and a lot of people still think, I got to be clean before I go. You ever heard somebody say, I would go to church, but you know, I got to get right first. Baby, going to it is getting right. You got to go in the tabernacle first to get right. You got to go in the tent of meeting first to get right. You won't get right by yourself. If you could, you would need God. But maybe it's some rules and some structures and some things that you have, traditions that you have in your head that keeps you in this place of wondering, maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me because of what I did last night. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me because I've been in jail. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me because I have a tattoo. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me because of what I eat. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me because of this. And we find ourselves away from God. But then, as the scripture says, we got the confidence and the boldness to boldly approach his throne of grace. But when we walked into the tabernacle, when we walked into the tent of meeting, the first place we came to was the brazen altar. Now think about it. You're, good, you're getting ready to go have a meeting with God, and the first place you come to is a place of blood, death, and fire. And you're like, hold up, this should be better than this. Like, God, I thought when I'm coming to have a meeting with you, like, it's almost like I'm going to sit down at a five-star restaurant and everything is going to be great and everything is going to be beautiful and it's just going to be great. How are you going to set this up? And God's like, no, the first place you come to is a brazen altar. You're going to see fire, and fire does two things and does two things well. Fire purifies and it destroys. Now, at the brazen altar, it is raised off the ground which shows us how Jesus will be raised up on the cross. The brazen altar was also made out of acacia wood. And if you remember, the cross that Jesus carried, carrying his own cross, it was a wooden cross, an old rugged wooden cross that he carried. He carried up to Calvary. So the first, the first date between Jesus and the church was not a five-star restaurant. The first date was not, you know, he took, you know, we didn't, he didn't take us to this great movie and we had a really good time. It wasn't, it wasn't this great occasion. The first date between Christ and the church was a bloody, gory death on a hill in Golgotha. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where he gave up his life and his blood for us. That was the first meeting that we had with him where we had an opportunity to see the sacrifice that is being made. So when we step into, and here's the beautiful thing about the tent of meeting, anybody could come in through the door. That's why we tell people, I don't care who you are, you can sit with us. If they didn't keep people out of the tent, then how can I keep people out of the church? So you can walk in, but now when you walk in and you come to the brazen altar, you got to make a decision. You have to make a decision and you have to agree to God's terms of peace. Now, at this brazen altar, they were making different sacrifices. They'd even sacrifice a young pigeon or, or a dove or they gave, cow, they gave calves or some people gave sheep. Some people did goats. Some people did like, you know, animal offerings. Some people had to do like this sacrifice for this. And they had to make a peace offering. But, but the one that we're, we're really focused on is the one that they had to make one time a year on the Day of Atonement. The, 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 uh, the high priest had to, had to sacrifice an animal, then ultimately had to take it inside because blood had to be shed. He had to present this sacrifice to God. And, and that blood, it atoned for our sins. What that means is it covered our sins. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that the, bloody, the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ does not cover our sin. It remits it, meaning that it removes it. 
Yeah, many of you probably heard the songs, it, wipe, it washes it white as snow. So we get a chance to walk into the tabernacle and we, we see this brazen altar. And then we go from this brazen altar, this place of blood, guts, and death, and everything else is happening here, and, and we go to the laver. So we went to the laver, and, and now we get a chance to see this, this wash basin. Now, it, this was very important because everybody can go there. This was only for Aaron and, and the priesthood. So only the high priest and the priesthood could, could, actually, go, could actually go to this, to this wash basin. So now the importance of it was when they went there, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet. You're like, well, why do you got to do that? What's so spiritual about it? They're in the dirt. Like, ain't that deep. They just had to wash their hands. And God's like, I don't want you bringing all that dirt inside of my holy place. Because this is a place of cleanliness. It's a place of purity. So this levir, it's made out of bronze, which is the same thing out of the, bro, the brazen altar made out of bronze. And we see in the outer court, or we see outside of it, that most of the things that are made in the outside are made out of bronze and made out of wood, which is also important and also symbolic because bronze biblically represents judgment. So imagine walking into a meeting with God and the first thing you come face to face with is judgment where you now have to make a decision. What will your decision be? You got to make a decision. Make a decision. In fact, I, I go, I go as far as saying make a decision is, is probably, it's, it's like, it's like 80% of success. Just make a decision. When you make a decision, you're going to lose weight. I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about you said you'll do it. I'm talking about you actually made a decision with it. Because when you make a decision, that means you always back it up with action. So when you make a decision that I'm going to do it, then it's done. When you make a decision that I'm going to be, when you make a decision I'm going to do, then it's done. But now you're, you're, you're at the labor, and, and there are mirrors that were inside of it. There's water inside of it. Water, we synonymous with the word of God. It's also important that in the mirrors, mirrors allow for you to get a reflection back at you. So when I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I get a chance to see the reality of who I really am, which shows us present day practically right now, that when you read the word of God, you read the word of God so that you can see how you look, not to see how the word of God looks. You, you, don't, you don't go in to read it so that you can try to change the word of God. You go in so the word of God can change you. So when we read the scriptures, it's like, man, I'm ugly. In the sense that my heart is bad. Like, if you ever read the book of James, the book of James will tear you up. He's talking about taming your tongue. Like, that's a difficult book for me because I like to say how I feel. And sometimes I don't care who likes how I feel. I'm just going to say how I feel. I've gotten a lot better with it. Wisdom has taught me to, to shut my mouth more than I talk. But James is a difficult book. So when you read the book of James and it's like, you know, taming your tongue and all this other kind of stuff, it's like, you know, I want to pop off. But the Bible's telling me this it shows you just how immature you are. But it's a reflection, and it's shining back at you. But the purpose of the labor was, to, was for the priests to cleanse themselves and get ready for service. And before we ever stepped into, before we get ready to step into it, last week, we took a bit of a turn. And we had to yield for just a second and ask ourselves a very important question. What is the cause? What is the context of our meeting with God? Why are we meeting with him? Why, 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 why do you need to meet with God? Are you meeting with God because it's something that you want for yourself? Are you meeting with God because there's something that is greater than you that you are serving? What is the cause that makes you come alive? 
What wakes you up in the morning? What is your passion? Have you ever asked yourself the question, where do, what do I work for except money? What do you work for except just a paycheck? What is your cause? What are you passionate about? People ask the question, Pastor, how do I find my purpose? You find your cause, and you find your cause by locating your passion. Every person in this room is passionate about something. It's just that we usually don't pursue it because our pursuit becomes a pursuit of money, not purpose. So we'll move all across the world when a job calls for us, but won't move two feet when God says go. And we wonder, as we, got, as we tackled earlier in this series, that whatever in your life you do not make serve God, you will serve it. So if you don't have your money to serve God, you'll serve your money. And then your money will dictate to you what you do. So you serve because you either have money or you don't have money. You get married because you have money or you don't have money. You do things because you have. It's alarming how many people of faith, they dictate their lives based on their bank account. God never told you. It's It's almost like if you can have this idea, have this perspective. Oftentimes we're worried about God. How are you going to fill the pond? When God says, I didn't ask you to think about how I'm going to fill it. All I asked you to do was take the shovel that you got and go dig. And if you dig it, I'll fill it. But a faithful man who can find, I just want somebody who's faithful enough to dig it. And we start digging and we say, I'm tired already. And then we start looking at somebody else who got a bulldozer. And we say, man, they're, they're, they're really digging that thing. They're a cultivator. They're, they're digging that ground. And they got something that's is better, is shinier, it looks better. And then we think to ourselves, they got something better than what we got. So then we start to compare our shovel with what they got. And then we say, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to do this no more. When God's saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Differences. What they're doing is completely different than what I got you doing. Just keep digging. But then you start the business and you stop it because you said you were passionate about it, but then work proved you weren't. Because <laughs> then you had to wake up early and realize that, oh, you don't get a paycheck unless you work. Entrepreneurship sounds exciting and it sounds fun until you realize you got to work for what you get. Now, what is your cause? What is the context of your meeting? What is waking you up in the morning? What gets you going? What gets you moving? What are you passionate about? I get people, I sit down with guys, they're like, man, you know, what, what, what messes me up is, you know, affordable housing in Atlanta. I don't understand about why they don't do this and don't do that. And I'm like, man, you're really passionate about it, aren't you? Yes, I am. Do something. I don't know what to do. Why don't you find a great organization in Atlanta that's already doing it? Go there and serve. Go there and learn. Figure out how you can help serve, how you can get a part of a greater vision, and then pursue it. You ain't got to go out and get your own logo and ego right now because you don't know enough. All you have is an ignorant zeal. You have a youthful zeal. It's great, but it's also dangerous, which is why the Bible says, don't, give, don't let them be a preacher too soon just because they come to know the gospel. You know how it is nowadays. People learn a few scriptures and start a church. Like, you're too young. You don't get it yet. You have youthful zeal. Not a bad thing. You have zeal. But it's still ignorance. Go find you a place that you can serve a vision that is bigger than you. Are you still praying to God to ask God to put food on your table? Or have your prayers grown to the fact that, God, could you please expand my table so large that I can feed more people at it? Is it God give me a God give me a house for my family or is it God God would you please bless me to such a point that I can build a big enough house where I can have other families to live with me 
or God, that I can build a community of families. Are our prayers too small? Because typically, our prayers indicate how, we, how big we think God is. Is your prayer just, God, could you help me pay my bills? Because God could be saying, well, the reason why you have bills is because you are in debt and you don't know how to do money. Well, I gave you a relationship with somebody who can help you with your money, but you're too stubborn to ask. Because relationship is wealth. But you want to do it by yourself. And by yourself is crushing you. And until you get into the room by yourself and you get in the dark by yourself, you soon realize how great a community is. But nevertheless, we continue to go. What is the cause? What is the context of your meeting with God? Have you thought about that? What is the cause? What is the context of your meeting? And now we have the awesome opportunity today. We've washed our hands. we washed our feet. We're getting ourselves right. And now we step into the door. We step into this, this veil. And we walk inside. And now we're on holy ground. Now, here's the beautiful thing. On the outside where the brazen altar was and where the, and, 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 and where the labor is, everything on the outside has the light of the sun shining down on it. It's not covered. But when we're walking into today, it's covered. It's a tent. So now as we walk into this place, the light from the sun is not shining down in there. So now we have to indicate where the light is going to come from. And then next week when we go to the holies of holies, we're going to really see where the true light of the Zoe life comes from. But now we stand outside And now we step into the holy place. This is where it really gets good. This is where it gets great. Now, there's some scriptures that I do have. I'm not going to read through all of them. Uh, If you have our app, I'd encourage you to read them there. I have them all on there. Uh, If you don't have our app, it's the Gathering Church, the Go Church, whatever it is on your, then you can get it. The sermon notes are there. I do want to read Exodus 26 through 36, though. Or 20, uh, I'm sorry, 26, 36 through 37. And talking about the entrance into the holy place. And the rest of the verses that are in the notes are the plans for the table, and we'll go through those. But the entrance into the holy place, it says, make another curtain for the entrance to the sacred tent. Make it a finely woven linen and embroider it with exquisite designs. I love how God does what he does. He said embroider it with exquisite designs. You know God has to be creative because you can look at people and tell that he's creative. You'll catch you on the way home. You look at at what people create, and you can tell that people are creative. Have you seen some of the colors and usage of things and how people are able to take dirt and make it into something? How people can take two colors and make them into a beautiful painting, and and this artistic movement. It's like God, in everything that he does, is exquisite. And, And it bothers me when people, especially believers, try to put God into this box of being boring and bland. Like God is about colors and, and, and God is about, he, he's, he's about so much more than what we make him out to be. And we see that at the labor because the labor was the only thing in the tabernacle that had no dimensions, which means God is saying, don't you ever put me in your box. 
I'm not in your equations. I'm not in your formula. I'm not in how you think I will be. I could be in the still waters. I can also be in the flood. I can be in, I can be in a pillar of clouds. I can also be in fire. I can speak to you through a donkey. I can also speak to you, speak to you through a burning bush. I can be anywhere I desire to be how I want to be. All I want for you to do is trust me that I am there and that it is me. And you'll be obedient to what I said. But God is opulent in what he does. It's exquisite. It's beautiful. I mean, I, I won't even get into the, 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 the wardrobe for the priest. I mean, what the priest put on. I mean, they talking about me because my shoes. They like, man, like y'all wear fear of God. They talking about me, but I'm like, bro, y'all, y'all seen the Pope, right? Oh, y'all seen this guy? Y'all seen him? I mean, you know, he ain't nothing to me, but y'all, y'all see the Pope. He does what he does. He like driving around in the Pope mobile and they try to look out, but you look at his rings and all that kind of stuff. So that stuff ain't cheap. Like God is opulent in what he does. He's, he, he's magnificent in what he does. He's beautiful in what he does. Everything that he does is just, is just out of this world. But he says, make it with this exquisite design. Listen to the colors that he used, which are so significant. Blue, purple, scarlet thread. Now, blue is a color of heaven or it's heavenly. Sky, heaven, you know. Scarlet is a color of blood. Flesh. Blue is like heavenly spiritual. Red is like flesh, blood, natural. But then he also wanted some purple, which purple is, is, is indicative of, of mankind, of human, of flesh. And basically what God was saying is when you walk in here, I want it to be a constant reminder that while you are heavenly with the blue, spiritual, walk in the spirit, and you will not please the deeds of the flesh. That there's still a very scarlet, red, fleshy, earthly side to you. But do not walk in the flesh. If you do, you shall fulfill these deeds. And he said, I wanted to remind you that as you walk in here, you are still a combination of the two. You are still human. If you weren't, you wouldn't need me. You're still human, a combination of the two. Which lets us know, present day practically, right now, don't ever get so high-minded spiritually that you forget that you are still a flesh. And then don't ever get so fleshy that you forget that we still walk in the spirit, that you make sure that you understand you are a combination of both. That's why God gives us a way out of temptation because he knows, yes, you know the Bible, but that don't mean you're going to always follow it. So let me go on and give you a way out of every way because you're going to need it. So before you put your nose down on anybody else who you think is so fleshy, because you think that you're so heavenly. Just know that one day your day will come when you get low. And then you will be challenged just how purple you are. So now we walk into the gate. And he says, craft five posts from Akasha wood. Because there has to be a reminder of the earth in the holy place. Overlay them with gold. And the hand, and it says, and hand the curtain from them. It's, and, and, and hang the curtain from them with gold hooks. Cast five bronze bases for the post. Remember, bronze represents judgment. Now, everything that was in the outer court was made of bronze. Bronze symbolizes judgment. Everything in the holy place is gold. This is where God really starts showing out. God's like, I want this to be some gold in this piece. Gold represents purity. I don't know if you realize how gold is really made. So they take gold and they burn it. They melt it down. And then after it's melted down, they, the impurities, they rise to the top. 
So then they scrape the impurities off of it, then they melt it down again, and then they, the impurities rise to the top, and they continue to do this until, it, until the gold is pure. You ever, see, you ever see when you walk by a jewelry store, it says pure gold? What they're saying here is that all the impurities have been taken out. So when God says, wash up before you come in, he's basically saying, when you see the gold, you better realize your heart better be right. The most important piece of equipment in the tabernacle was not the gold. It wasn't the silver. It wasn't the bronze. It wasn't the, the lamb skin. It wasn't any of that stuff. The most important piece of equipment in the tabernacle then and now will always be your heart. High priest, when he went in, he had to wear, he had to wear this belt with the, you know, whistles and stuff and these bells and, and he had to, they put a, they put a rope around him because if he stayed in there too long, they already knew what happened. He dropped dead. Because God says, I'll only allow purity in my midst. So if he dropped dead, they couldn't go in there, so they just drag him right on out. Like, well, there was another one. <laughs> God says there has to be a pure place that happens in this. Now, I want to go over some of the things that are, that are in the holy place, and then we're done. Y'all can go home and watch whatever this game is. Uh, so we have, on our right, we have the table of showbread. To my left, to our left, we have the menorah or the golden candlestick. And then right in front of us is this big veil, which we're going to talk about next week and how it was torn and ripped and how we can now boldly approach. It's so great. But there's this big veil, but in the center here is this, is this altar of incense. So first place we start is over here with the table of showbread. Now, the priests were required to go, to go in and they were required to take 12 unleavened pieces of bread and to place them there. And then they were required to go back in and make sure that they were changed. They had to always replace the old with the new, which shows us present day practically that God, even actually as it says in the prayer, that God gives us daily bread. That you are still frustrated about yesterday when God's saying your perspective is so off, you don't even realize you're complaining about what you didn't get yesterday. I've moved on from yesterday. This is daily bread. You woke up with a whole new level of grace. You didn't even get sloppy grace. You got the new grace. You got some mercy that you didn't have last week. You got it today. You got fresh life. You didn't have to wake up today, baby. You get to. Then the question must be asked, why should God prolong your life? Why should he give you more years? For who and for what? For you or is for him? So now we see this table of showbread, which represents communion which we'll take communion on Wednesday night. We always take it during Bible study. But it represents communion. In the book of John, Jesus talks about you should take of my bread and you should, and you should, eat, of, you should, you should eat of my body. And they, they didn't know what was going on. They were like, hold up, what is he talking about? Eat of his body, these cannibalisms. What is it, the cannibals in the room? Like that ain't right. But Jesus was telling us today presently that we should do it in remembrance to take of his body and drink of his blood to remember the sacrifice that was made at the brazen altar. That table of showbread represents fellowship. It was a place where they put down bread and they went to go eat. Imagine, if, if you understood the importance of a table in a house, people put tables in the house because tables invite fellowship. Everybody sits around the table together. I've always questioned, you know, in the book, in Psalms where it says, it says, and, and God shall build a table, a table before my, before my enemies, build a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
And, you know, people always preach that, you know, God going to show you off in the presence of your enemies. He going to tell your enemies that you got it. He going to show you off. He gonna, and I'm, I'm like, man, is that really what God's doing? Or did God build a table in the presence of your enemies because a table represents fellowship? And did the, did the table represent forgiveness and reconciliation? Not to show you off. Why would God need anything to do to show you off? God gets more glory when your enemies are reconciled with you. I know that's hard to hear because you are you thinking about some enemies right now. Like, I will never, ever, if he put a table, I'm going to hide the food, I'll spit in it. <laughs> Heart ain't right. And that's probably why he can't use you for service. You want him to expand your territory. He can't. Your heart ain't right. You would preach, but you, would, you will contaminate everybody you preach to. Your heart ain't right. You're, you can't serve the way he wants you to. You don't need a platform or a microphone because he's going to hurt everybody you talk to. So he says you need the fellowship because the table in the house invites fellowship. Come and sit down at the table. Yeah, come and eat. I, where I'm from back there in Mississippi, man, you know, when, when we cook, even today, I don't know how to cook for myself. My wife gets on to me all the time. When I cook at home, it's just, when I cook, I make a big meal. Like, I don't know how to cook just a pack of bacon. She said preach. I don't. I mean, just I, I mean, a couple strips of bacon. I cook a whole pack, a whole pack, and I just sit it there. And she's like, babe, why is food just sitting here? Just in case somebody comes over. That's just how I, that's how I was raised. My mom would get up and cook. And I'm like, mama, who's eating? Are you cooking a football team? She's like, baby, I don't know. Maybe some people might stop by the house. That's just how we were. I go up to my aunt's house. They're like, you hungry? You didn't, you didn't turn them down. You always said, that's why I was so plump as a kid. Because you didn't turn people down. It's like, yes, ma'am, I'm hungry. Well, did you just eat? Yes, ma'am. Well, I'll make you a plate. But then it wasn't just a little plate. It was a big thing, collard greens. They had some turnips right here. They had some mustards. You had fried chicken. And then you had smothered pork chop. And you had some, you had some yams that had some domino sugar in it that'll kill you. I was like, Auntie, I didn't want much. She was like, hush and sit down and eat the food now. And you better not get up from that table till you finish it. But I didn't want that much. That was abuse, but I didn't know it at the time. I was abused. With food, <laughs> it wasn't abuse. I love it. But, but the table represented fellowship. And when you sit down and when you eat together, you ever see, you ever see what happens when, when heads of states get together? They get together near the first step before, before they ever get in front of the camera. They usually sit down over a meal. Because when you sit down over a meal, people get relaxed, don't they? I sit down with guys, and I, I, can't, I can't wait till you know, when the order comes and when their food comes. But before the order comes, they like real uptight, like, I don't know what I should do. Should I order a drink or not? Because he a preacher. Am I supposed to be cussing? I ain't going to cuss. And he, I always get it because they be talking. They be like, and I did, um, and what? <laughs> they don't know. But as soon as the food comes, it's like, oh. They start eating, they get so relaxed, they just forget. They forget, they be talking, they be like, oh, man, I've been up here cussing, Pastor, I didn't even realize. I was like, no, be you. Don't let me stop you, be you. Do you. Get your little drink. What kind of drink you going to get? Get your drink. <laughs> All the religious folks hated I just said that. But food does something. Calms you down. Because you never make a decision when you're hungry, when you're angry, and when you're tired. And I'm not just talking about just with food. Because when you're hungry for something that your body wants is not food, you never make a decision 
I'll make it plain. When you get horny at night, you don't make a decision then because now your body is crying out for something and you never make a decision when you're hungry. That's not the time to respond to the text. You respond to the text when you're in your right frame of mind. So that table represents communion and it represents fellowship. Over here, we have, a, we have the menorah or the golden candlestick. Now, on the outside, the light that was shining down was the light from the sun. But inside of the tent, it would be dark unless the candlestick was lit. So the menorah, this, this golden candlestick is lit. It's literally lit. And in the middle, that middle candlestick represents Jesus. And then the candlesticks that are beside it represents the children of light. It is uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, put on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says here, the light that is shining there is lit, and you're lit because he's lit. Like when you see people, you should be like, man, I'm lit. Why are you so lit, Jesus? Well, what you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, first you got to go to the brazen altar. I can't wait till y'all be able to explain this to people. But you tell people I'm lit because he's lit. And now the candle can continue to be burning. Why? Because he's lit. But it represents something present day practically that we have to get. Because light is important. Because right, light represents revelation. You ever, you ever been in the dark and the light came on? I'm not talking about a room. I'm talking about you ever been sitting down or you ever heard something and, and, it, and, and you were like, that's what that means. Or you ever been studying something or you, or you know, some of you probably come to church and you probably heard something over the years. And then you heard something I said and you was like, that's what that means. The light came on. You, maybe you've heard of this, this, this thing called revelation knowledge. How God can reveal something to you. The Bible itself is revelation knowledge. The Bible opens itself up to reveal itself. You can read the same scripture four or five different times. You know what will happen? You'll see something every time. Revelation knowledge. It opens up before you. It's like, man, you'll read that one scripture, and it's something about that verse you did not see before. It's revelation knowledge. And God's trying to show you, maybe your life is dark, because you ain't got no light. You need some revelation knowledge. You need some revelation. And you're dark right now because you have no light. And light and revelation is supposed to help you with spiritual development. Maybe you have not been used for service because you are a lot more immature than what you think you are. God's saying, no, I need for you to grow up and rise up. To really be who I've called for you to be, but you need some more revelation. It's amazing what a book can do to a person. It can change your life because it can help you to no longer be ignorant. A book, one book, if you just open it up, just read it one time, a book could change your life because the information in it could open up your eyes and be like, man, that's amazing. And then information, revelation also helps you to realize you know what? 
what I thought was true wasn't even true. This is revelation knowledge. Man, God, thank you for revealing that to me. You ever been in a situation and God just reveals something to you? The light came on. Or maybe he reveals something to you about somebody else. And you were like, oh, wow. But here's the problem. If God is only, if, if, if the God you, you think you serve is only revealing somebody else to you and never revealing you, that ain't the right God. Because the true God reveals you to you before he reveals somebody else to you. He's going to show you how selfish you are before, you, before he shows you how selfish somebody else is. That's revelation. But now we get to the last place. We got the table of showbread here. As I come to this close, we have, we have the menorah, the golden candlestick here. And right in front of us, step forward, and there's an altar of incense. Now, this represents a place of intercession. You ever ask yourself the question, when is the last time I prayed for somebody else other than me? When is the last time I really sought God for somebody else? It wasn't about me. To be an intercessor isn't to be seen. That's why Jesus says, don't make prayers out in the synagogue, out in the city, so that everybody else can see them, so they can see how great you are and how intellectual you are. He says, do it in private so that your father can reward you. Why? Because if you do it in front of people, that's your reward. He says, no, intercessor, go into the, go into the dark, go into the quiet, go into the calm and pray fervently. Jesus, remember, is at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf. That's a place, he's bored. A place on the, on the right. On the right. He's at the right hand, and the right hand is a place of strength. It's a place of power. But here we have a place of intercession. And God's saying, man, a place of intercession. I want you to, I want you to really make this be a house of prayer. You ever heard that song? Lord, make me a house, make me a house of prayer. Or let the fire of my altar never burn out. That the fire, and the reason being is because they had to go and light this incense, but they would, they would let it, they would have to light it morning and night, and they would let it all burn out to a crisp, which represents something else. In our service to God, we give everything we've got to him until it all runs out. God, may the fire of my altar never burn out. May the fire of my altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. Make me a house of intercession because the, the altar of incense was a place of worship. It was a place where we had to get our heart right. And this was all in front of the veil. We haven't even met God yet. God's saying, this is just an important thing you have to do before you ever get there because I got to get your heart right first. You made a decision back at the brazen altar. Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, which the two are not necessarily synonymous. When you say he is your Savior, that means you believe he saved you from your sin. When you say he is your Lord, that means he now is Lord over your life. You don't own you. Many church folk make Jesus their Savior but not their Lord. So they follow money, not God. They follow relationship, not God. You made a decision at the brazen altar. You washed yourself continuously, a process of sanctification. You were justified, justification at the brazen altar. You're being sanctified at the, at, the, at the labor. But now when you come in, there's a whole new process, baby. I need you to be in fellowship. You got to ask yourself the question, how important is the assembly of believers for you? 
I got people, I know people, they wake up early in the morning, they get dressed, barely put their makeup on. Some of them even brush their teeth because they woke up late. Speeding through traffic just so they can, just so they can, they can, they can get to a job they don't want to be at. They'll work 8, 10, 12 hours a day, come back home only to live some type of menial life in order to do it all over again. Not chasing passion, just trying to make ends meet. They're going in a circle, they feel insane, nothing's being paid, bills are late, everything is gone, and all God's saying is, I wish you would do it for me, what you do for them. And the same people who do that sit on the side of the bed on Sunday morning and they say, I think I will. I don't know. I don't know if I can give that time to God. I don't know. And God's saying, you need the fellowship. Why? Because in the fellowship... There's revelation. And you live in the dark. And my people are destroyed, not because of who they are. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You don't know anything. You have no vision, so your house crumbles. You have no vision, so your children don't know where they're going. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You have a faith you don't even understand. Nowadays, we have to do evangelism training. I can do a very easy class on evangelism training. It's simple. If the news is so good that you were set free, tell somebody. You tell people when you're pregnant. You tell people when you're getting married. And then you get a divorce and you still tell people that. Because sometimes the divorce for you is the good news. You tell people when you're going to eat. You tell people about your birthday. You post pictures about you doing your hair. If you're going to do things, if you're going to tell people good news, if it's good... That's evangelism class. Well, how do I tell them? Give them your testimony. Tell them how he brought you out of it, and it encouraged them. Just give them that. I don't know the Bible. Yeah, there's a lot of things I don't know either, but at least I can tell them about me, because if, maybe if you give them the Bible, that's going to give them more, this going to be more confusing. Because they're going to ask you questions about the Bible that you can't answer. But if you tell them about your own life, you're like, Yo, I, don't, I don't know about all that. Well, I thought it was a white man's religion. Look, all I'm telling you, bro, is that I know I was lost. And couldn't nobody else save me but him. But you need the fellowship. You need the assembling of believers. You need this. This, for believers, should not be optional. This should be mandatory. You're being let out into a dark, dangerous, hellish world where everybody is seeking out your attention. Every, every advertisement today that they put on television, they're screaming out for one reason. These people, these, these advertisers, corporations are paying millions of dollars to do one thing, to get your attention. They're making it funny so they can get your attention. They're putting bright colors. They can get your attention. Everybody wants your attention because they want your dollar. They want everything you got. And then we look at the church and we say, all the church wants is my attention and my dollar and my this. No, that's not what we're saying. All I'm saying is God is saying that I've already put a tabernacle in place. I have a system set up that works, but you believe the world more than you believe this. But when you die, how much of the money you got can you take with you? What did you leave that was a legacy, that was long-lasting? What did you leave what a part of fellowship, what kind of table did you build where you left not having enemies, but you left trying to reconcile everything you had with those you were at odds with? What did you leave that was bigger than you? What is your cause? What is the context? And what is the revelation that you got out of it? 
Or are you content with living in drama in the dark while people around us die and go to hell and we don't, we don't flinch an eye in it? We just look at them. We say, oh, that's good. I'm going to pray for them. R.I.P. Uh, young men being shot down in streets. Girls being snatched off streets. And while we talk about it and we tweet about it, people are saying, I wish the church could do more about it. We got all of, we got people who are here who are passionate about it, who are too afraid to move. And God's saying, if you just got in community around people who were movers. Because maybe your inactivity is the way that it is because you are around inactive people. You complain so much because that's all you hang around. You have an impoverished mindset because that's all you hang around. Live like a chicken, you act like a chicken because that's all you hang around. You look like a buzzard and you act like a buzzard because that's all you hang around. All you want is what somebody else killed. But all oh, to the eagles. All oh, to the eagles. But once they find a soaring place, they don't have to flap their wings. Continue. What have you done in your life and what decision have you made? Brings into the context of this conversation. It says, I need the fellowship of the brethren. I need communion. I need the word every single day of my life. What part of your life has become so serious that you need revelation? Has God just become first in your life and not priority? Because there's a difference. People look at me and they say, well, you know, pastor, I made God first. That's the problem. He's only first. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The, 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 it was not about position. It was about foundation. And there's a big difference. When God is first, that means I seek him out in the beginning just so I can get rid of him later on, that God is just first. That's all that he is. So I gave him my, I gave him my time of devotion. I went to church. I did that. I did him first. That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture says make God foundational, which means that God is just not first. That means that God is in my family. That means that God is in my work. That means that God is in my house. That means that God is in my friends. That means that God is with my coworkers. That means that God is in every single place of your life. But maybe we don't know better and we can't do better because we just don't know. We don't, we don't know better. We don't ask the right questions and we definitely don't seek out help. Especially to our men. I don't know if you guys see this, but our world has changed. I am so concerned about the state of our men today. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I'm so concerned. It's almost as if many of us were walking aimless without vision, without passion, without structure, and we don't know what to do, and we're willing to do it by ourselves. So many of us locked up behind bars, and so many of us walking on the streets full of drugs and alcohol, and we don't know what to do. We, I, it's concerning, but that's my passion. That's my passion. I've been doing everything I can with my passion to continue. Come up with God, I need more help. So I got to go back to the light. Got to go back to revelation. God, give me more revelational knowledge to help me to know what I can do. Because God, I don't know if what I'm doing is effective. I got to do something else. God, we got to do something on a bigger scale. We got to. 
think the problem is just, well, men don't come to church? No, that's, that's, that, that's, that's, just, that's just a fruit issue. That ain't the root, baby. Because men gather together. They'll be in a big stadium later on screaming on for, for a couple guys who are on a field running after a, a pigskin ball. But in the, face of, in the face of eternity, I'm wondering, how are we losing our men and our boys? I don't ask you to get it. That's my passion. You have your own. I needed that, that table. I need that revelation. But most important, I got to get my heart right at this place of intercession and worship. As I lift it up to God. I want to make sure he hears my prayers. You know, the scripture actually talks about there are some prayers, there are sometimes God doesn't hear your prayers. For instance, the Bible talks about for those of you who are married, the two of you aren't on the same page, your prayers are hindered. But maybe y'all been praying for something and the reason being is you haven't gotten it is because your prayers have been hindered. The Bible actually talks about how, how God, how the, they, they were praying and it was, a, it was a aroma that went up and he turned his face. Imagine going to God and out of your selfishness and out of your, out of your selfish heart, the only thing you prayed about was yourself and helping you and do everything. And God turned his face to those prayers. I don't even want to hear it. It's not even a, it's not even a sweet smelling aroma to me. It's not about intercession. It's not about anybody else. All it's about is just you. Your whole life is just about you, your degree and your diploma, your money and your house, your car, your bills. It's just about you. That's not a sweet-smelling aroma to me. I didn't build this tabernacle for your own wealth and enjoyment. What am I doing for somebody else? I wonder if a lot of our lives are like they are because God is like, turn my nose. This is our opportunity to get our, to get our life right and get our heart right. This is what we have to do today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.